Welcome to K-Talk. Today is going to be a very interesting conversation. We are going to talk about the Quartabla Cressas and exactly what it means, how you're going to get through it, are you even going to get through it, what's going to happen, and how is life different from here on out. So I think the quarter life crisis is a very, or your Saturn return, is a very interesting concept. We all know what the midlife crisis looks like, because mainly we always typecast a bald-headed middle-aged man who now has a red Corvette or Ferrari, which he may or may not have the money to have purchased, but he purchased it, and he's wearing a leather jacket. It only has two seats, and he probably has a very young girlfriend or trying to pick up women to try to make himself feel good. We all know that. We know that casting role. But what we don't know is the casting role that goes with somebody who is in a quarter-life crisis. What does that look like? Well, I'll tell you what it looks like from our parents' view. It looks like a privileged, ungrateful child, now adult, sitting at home looking for a passion, but really they're just sleeping and snacking and sitting in their home not paying any bills. That's what it looks like to the baby boomers, right? It looks like you're just not doing anything because when they were 21 or 20, they were on their own, paying bills, having kids, getting married. They were already in their careers. They bought a house. They were situated And here you are who got everything, reaped everything that they could give you, and you are just sitting down, not even close to being your best self. That's how they see it, but that's not really what it is. What really is happening is your quarter-life crisis is you essentially seeking yourself. And for many of us, a lot of us who have, you know, you've completed your education but you can't get a job in your field. That's like the testimony of time. Many people, uh, many millennials have that same storyline and it's, it's facts. You spend all this money, you spend all this time getting this degree because you're told that higher education is going to lead to a better job and a better life. And instead your higher education has created a lot of debts and you're flipping burgers at Burger King when really you studied economics and you should be doing something on CP24. But here you are flipping burgers at Burger King because you're trying to figure out a way to move into the next level and to pay your bills and to afford a living for yourself. Or you could be working a job that doesn't pay enough for your education and you're trying to buy a home, but then you also have that pesky loan to pay off. So now you're working seven jobs And then your parents are probably wondering, why on earth is Billy so depressed? Well, Billy is depressed because Billy is trying to achieve his goals, but he just can't. There's just too many things, too many factors. Um, And I bring this up because I think that the way that we perceive ourselves is only half of the struggle when it's coupled with how other people perceive us. I am far more willing to buy into the fact when people tell me, that I am worthless as opposed to me knowing that I am not. And I can give you a personal example. When I did my first degree in women's studies, people laughed at me and were like, oh, like what kind of a thing is that? Why would anybody want to do that? 
Um, my whole goal when I did women's studies was I wanted to become a professor and teach women's studies. We'll get to that later. But I wanted to be a professor. I loved women's studies. I loved what it stood for. I'm, I've always been about justice and empowerment and all that other fun stuff. So this is what I wanted to do. Fine. My brother-in-law, um was laughing at me he called it lesbian studies he called it all these other things he told me what on earth would I ever do with this degree like what a waste of time like you know you're not really brilliant but here's the thing that people didn't know about women's studies and people may not know you know one of the skills that you take away from women's studies is that for each class that you take you have about maybe a hundred pages to like 200 pages worth of reading to do it is a program that is coupled with a lot of writing and essays and assignments. So you are consistently doing assignments. There is never a time when you are not writing a paper for women's studies. And your papers are usually worth like 60, 40, 30%. I think the minimum is like 25% that a paper would be worth. It's a lot. And then you also have exams. So it is not an easy walk in the park. You are consistently having to tap into that frontal lobe in your brain to access information. Plus, you are always having to sit down and try to understand concepts and theories and con like, it's just a whole thing. You don't do this in sociology. And I can also tell you that you don't do this in psychology. I'm doing neuroscience right now and you don't do this. Um, so women's studies gave me a really good setup of researching skills that I could still use. And most of my business, even my my core businesses, I apply my principles of women's studies to them. Um, I was always interested in sexual, sexual slash sexuality studies. And so some of my businesses, like the lingerie line, for example, comes from that principle. Um, when it comes to my coaching business, working with people who have disabilities, that comes from women's studies. That doesn't come from neuroscience or that doesn't come from my indigenous, actually some of it does from my indigenous studies degree, but it's very different. Um, and I say this to say is that if I was a different person back then, I would have definitely taken what my brother-in-law said and said, you know what, I'm not going to do women's studies, I'm going to switch. Because not just my brother-in-law, but my mother also thought the same thing. Everybody just thought that it was such a waste of time. Um, did it put me into a specific job? No. But am I a specific person? No. When I did women's studies is when I truly realized that 9 to 5 wasn't for me. I was not a 9 to 5 person. So I say this to say is that part of the quarter-life crisis is hearing a lot of the things that other people are saying about us that affect us, that hurt us, and it's very difficult. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because no matter how great you think you are, you still have a lot of those voices. But I think during the time of the quarter-life crisis, the voices get even louder. So they go from being a little loud to extremely loud because you are having doubts of, about yourself. That, that's part of the quarter-life crisis, right? You're sort of doubting everything that you bought into or you believed in or whatever. So I just, you know, I thought that this would be a good topic to discuss because I think that a lot of us are going through it, still in it, just starting, maybe ending, because it's like sort of like turning over a new fresh leaf. That's how I have chosen to look at it. God knows, y'all, you could look at it anyhow you want to. But at some point, I just had to be friends with it. Because if you don't become friends with your quarter-life crisis, you're going to be doomed. 
you're going to be doomed. Now, obviously, if you suffer from some mental illness disorder, your quarter life crisis will be way more difficult to combat for many different reasons, right? Um, which is a whole other thing. But if it's just the basic everyday emptiness, I totally hear you and I get it. And as much as people would like to class it as depression, it's not depression. It's something completely different. Um, I mean, it's relatable to depression because there's that sinking, sunken feeling of like, ugh, not another Monday. Ugh, like, why am I working this stupid job? I hate everybody. Leave me alone type of thing. Or, ugh, these people, they don't stop talking. Just leave, like, there's a, there's a mood that goes with it. So we're going to talk about how to sort of get into better headspace, which is really difficult to do. Now you may be thinking, this started off very negative. No, actually, this started off very truthful. This is like the truth. This is the tea. This is the facts, okay? Because life is not all flowers, roses, and cupcakes. There are some very, very difficult places that you're going to go through. And the quarter-life crisis is only half the battle. If even, maybe it's even like a third of it. Um, but I think that there are some very important skills that we can get through our quarter-life crisis, which we're going to talk about. And I think that you'll find them very helpful because these are also strategies that I've applied for myself as well. a sponsored video but I personally love Aviv smoothies and I am an ambassador you can use my code cats10 to receive some goodies from Aviv smoothies they are absolutely amazing they are plant-based they now offer food as well again it's cats10 k-a-t-s 10 on checkout when you purchase thank you guys So I want to talk about how you can look at this as a chance for personal growth. So one of the things that I find that happens in the quarter-life crisis is really it's just a crisis. <laughs> There's no if ands or buts. It's a crisis, right? It's all about how am I going to battle my way out of this migraine or hellhole of a life that I'm in right now. And the skills that you garner from this are unlike any other skills. So what I find with your quarter-life crisis is that you gain a lot of skills or a lot of strength that you didn't know that you had. Because one year from now, or two months from now, when you look back on the difficult challenges you had that you didn't think you could do, all of a sudden, you're a gladiator, right? Little things that used to maybe like make you run and hide, you are no longer hiding from. And I can personally speak to this. Um, so before my quarter life crisis started in the midst of it, whatever, um, I had, I made a, a, a decision that I was going to be nice. You're going to laugh cause you're like, what are you talking about? So I made a decision. I was going to be more nice. So I'm an Aries person. I do believe in astrology. Yes. I'm an Aries person. Um, and part of Aries is a very strong, blunt, aggressive sign 
we do not play. We just come at it cutthroat. So what this meant was for me is that basically I had the year of say yes. Some of you know what that is. Some of you don't. That's basically when you make a decision to make changes to your life that you're going to say yes. There's a famous TED Talk about this. Um, so that's what basically I wanted to imply was that I wanted to say yes to more things and I wanted to be more open-minded and less of an Aries. So I tried this. Um, it was a new skill set to learn because it's not something that I do. I'm not a person of compromise, but long story short, I tried this. I failed miserably because what I found was that people were just taking advantage of me left, right, and sideways. They were disrespectful to me and I was basically holding it all in. Until I eventually exploded, which was not great for anybody. But I say this to say is that the quarter life crisis, even though I failed at that challenge, it did teach me something that was really valuable, which was not being who I was before, but also not being who I became, but being somewhere in the middle. So it taught me that it's okay to compromise. I don't have to compromise on everything. I don't have to say yes to everything, but there has to be a point where I can say yes and no and mean it. So I don't have to be one extreme or the other, which is a thing for people who are Aries, but one extreme or the other. I can be in the middle. And that was a skill that I didn't really have. Another skill that I got from my quarter life crisis, which I think would be very helpful to a lot of people, male, female, it doesn't really matter, or even in between, perfectly fine. Um, Another skill that I had got was that um, it taught me something about my love language that I didn't really, well, I think I knew, but I knew it wasn't really a thing. So when you go through your quarter life crisis, probably the worst thing that you could do is end up in a relationship or end up speaking to somebody, which I probably will do a podcast about, but speaking to somebody who is very different from you emotionally, um, And so I did that. I entered into a relationship because I thought it would be a really good way for me to sort of, um, you know, navigate through my personal feelings, what what have you, fine. But that wasn't really the case. So what ends up happening during my quarter-life crisis is that I got into a relationship with someone who I really loved and I cared about. Actually, let me backtrack that. I did not love them, but I did care about them. Um... And I kind of used it, which is really bad, but as a psychological project for myself. So I know that I am not a very needy person. I am not a very affectionate person. I sort of struggle. And I was thinking that, oh, like during this time, you know, it's going to teach me a lot about myself. I, I took my quarter life crisis as my teacher. It's going to lift me up from this. You know, my relationships will never be the same, which they aren't. Um, So what happened was I ended up in this relationship with this person who was not necessarily great, but they weren't awful either. They were somewhere in the middle. Um, And we had a very combative relationship. So something I knew about myself previously was that, I can't believe I'm going to admit this, but emotionally I'm very abusive. I know, shocker. But I mean, the truth of a podcast is really to be honest so that other people can learn from you and you can learn from others. So that's just the truth. I am emotionally abusive. I think if it wasn't for my quarter-life crisis, I would have never been able to really be conscious enough to know that I'm doing this. 
because I think before I was blindly doing it and not really aware of my personal actions and the way that I was interacting and the way that I would make the other person feel because I really have always been about myself and you know your your quarter life crisis is really about you that's true but when something is about you it's also how you make others feel and I am pretty certain that that particular person did not have very good feelings about me because I think I have done him wrong. Okay, like just to be like Mother Rue, I had done him wrong. Okay, I, in in the utmost of ways, because you know, as an adult person, and especially myself, quarter life crisis. I know I'm using it as an excuse, but as an adult person myself, I think the worst thing that you could do to another human being is to cut them off emotionally, meaning that you will show up, but you will not show up with any of your feelings. You will not show up with any way. Oh my God, y'all, I think I should do a whole podcast on that relationship. But um, my point about the quarter life crisis being a teacher is that I had learned something that I had never ever witnessed before, which that, which is that I have never been emotionally hurt by somebody in the same com to the same capacity of what I had done to this, this person. So I've never seen my action. My actions in the past have never come with consequences, but now they have because the consequence is internal. And by that, I mean, is that, it presented me in a new way. What, with the quarter-life crisis, I think part of it is also the fact that you are getting older. The fact that you are no longer in Neverland, Peter Pan, you gotta move. And it's very hard to move to a new place and to a new state of mind. So the little high school gimmick things that I used to do, they're no longer attractive when you are 29. I mean, you know, treating somebody a specific way or having a particular attitude is just not a thing because when you are 29, life is very different. The things that you will do are very different. So when you're in high school, all you have to do is think about your homework and go home and maybe you have a little job. Maybe you have to pay your cell phone bill. Those are like your little problems. But when you are 29 and you're dealing with another person that other person has a whole life of their own, right? They either own their house or they're paying rent or they have to think about their business. They have to think about money. They, they may have a child. Most people who are 29 have kids. Um, they, have, they have a whole list of things that are different that they need to reflect on that don't, where they don't have the mental space and the mental capacity to put up with the attitude of somebody else. That being said, that reroutes us back to the quarter-life crisis because during your quarter-life crisis, you don't have the space or the mental capacity, I know, I can hear you on that other end, to put up with people or things or objects or anything in which you see as a burden. This also applies to myself. There was no mental space for me to take on another thing. So taking on a relationship was not smart because I didn't have the emotional propensity to do so I wasn't competent enough to do that and during your quarter life crisis you really should be alone because to be honest you probably won't have space there are so many other things during your quarter life crisis it's like working on a personal project like if you were in school and you remember you had like science fairs and stuff like that that's what your quarter life crisis is but it's about yourself so now I need to do research to try to figure out who I am what I'm about what I stand for, what I want, but coupled with that, I have to work nine to five. 
I have to go to school. I have to do all these other things. I need to figure out how I'm going to pay bills. I need to figure out what age I want to move. I need to do all of this. So it's really kind of juggling life because after the quarter life crisis, you go back to living as normally, but things change, right? By the time your quarter life, you may or may not have kids before your quarter life crisis, but let's say you didn't. After your quarter life crisis, you may have a family. You may be settled into your career. You may want to buy that house. But with all of that comes additional stress, which your quarter life crisis is going to definitely drag you through because it is just a phase of life where you feel like everything is just coming at you one time and you're on pause. And the thing with social media is I think that social media makes it seem like people are way more successful than they are. So, you know, a lot of us use social media as a distractor. I definitely do. I still do to this day, even though you really shouldn't. I like to go on. I like to see what people are doing. Like, I like to see projects that people are working on or businesses or whatever. Like, I get a lot of my ideas from social media. But that being said, sometimes it makes me feel bad. And during your quarter-life crisis, you really don't want that. And I'm not saying that quarter-life crisis is about things. It's about more than things. It's, a, it's an internal thing. I, I like to look at the quarter-life crisis as an, etern- an internal thing because it's internally telling you what it is that you need to do to move forward. It's putting the things... So the way I see it is like it's kind of like a jumble. So you have relationships, you have marriage, you have career, you have school, you have family, you have all of this. And your quarter-life crisis is asking you, put them in order as need be because you can only service one thing at a time, which is true, right? You can. You can only juggle so many things before everything just falls apart, which technically happens during your quarter-life crisis, which is why it trains you to put things in order. What is a priority versus what isn't? And one thing I find for myself, I go to school full-time, I work full-time, I run my businesses full-time, I don't really have any other time for relationships because I have to study, I have a lot going on, but I have to find a place to stick it in. I have decided during my quarter life crisis that I was going to take that off the table. So I put it in the back burner to come back to it later because I would like to focus. I have picked my personal project during my quarter life crisis, which is to focus on myself. And by focusing on myself, I've put time aside to go to the gym, to do Pilates, to somehow squeeze that in, which would take out the time for relationships. I'm not saying I'm not going to get into one. Just this is what I've chosen to do. I have other friends who have decided now is the time during this time when they're at their peak of their crisis that they would really like to focus that because your quarter life crisis really sheds light on all aspects of your life and what it is that you particularly want. What is it that you want that you're not working towards? This is my own personal thing. I have complained endlessly to anybody who listened, that's not law of attraction, I know, about the fact that I am paying for private lessons. They're very expensive, but I am doing it because I have committed this to myself. I have decided during this time to make an investment to myself. I cannot manage to deal with another human being at this particular time because I have too many things going on that requires too much of my time and I cannot give my all to somebody else. And as a human being, you need to be able to give your all because that is what you want, right? A relationship is give and take. It's about reciprocity. What you get is what you expect and vice versa. And the reasons why people don't get what they want in relationships is because it's never reciprocated. I want this. It's about me. Forget about you. 
And I tend to operate on that way and it didn't work out for me previously. So I'm going to try to change my ways. But that's all about working on yourself, right? There are different things that you can do. There is no right and wrong, by the way, when it comes to your court. There's there's no blueprint. We're all very different. We all have different issues. You know, some of us, like one of my other friends, um, when her quarter life crisis started, she really wanted to work on her childhood traumas. Like, this is what she really wanted to address. She wanted to go deep and she wanted to address them so that she could move forward. Because she found that for her, that was a huge point of contentment in her life. It was something that was just kept on coming up that she wanted to work on. So we all are very different. Our, like We all have very different interests. We have different problems. It's not a one-size-fits-all, right? It's a, it's a very personal thing that you have to work on. But, I mean, I feel like this particular podcast is like all over the place. I hope somehow I'm helping somebody. But my goal is that I just want you guys to know that you are not by yourself. Um, it takes a while for you to figure something. I just figured for my quarter life crisis, when it started, it was easier to break it up into chunks. Like, first, I focused mainly on my familial issues, the things that I felt like I needed to put to bed or things that I needed to, to get through, which I got counseling for, like things like that. Then I moved down to, to my business. Then I moved down to making declarations about school right? Declarations about the career that I wanted. I stopped spinning my wheels because I think what happens in the quarter life crisis is you start to spin your wheels. Where am I going? What am I doing? And I'll tell you this from a neuroscientific perspective, you have to have a destination. If you get nothing else from this podcast, get this destination, destination, because everything you do will depend on your destination. If you decide that you want to be a doctor. That's your destination. Every decision that you make on a daily basis will be on how to get there. But you can't get good grades and all this other stuff if you decide, if you're like, well, maybe I should be a doctor, maybe I shouldn't. Maybe I should become a chef. Maybe I, should. I, I don't know what I want to be. Like, let me just, you have to have a destination. And it's very easy during your quarter life crisis to spin your wheels, to spin around and around and around and around and around until you're just so tired of yourself that you just have a seat. You become sick of yourself. You don't want to talk to yourself. You just want yourself to go away. You just want yourself to go away because it is annoying. So you need to pick on a destination, which is why we're going to end this podcast talking about the tools in which that will help you to do just that. So I want to go through some tools. This is a really long podcast, so let me just apologize. Um, but I want to give you guys a couple of tools in which that I personally use myself. So here's the thing. I wake up every day at 4.30. You do not need to wake up at 4.30. But these are the things that I find to help me. I have a morning two-minute journal. I have a morning sort of like chicken soup for the soul but not it's like a daily thing that just talks about you know gives little stories for a little bit of morning inspo I have a journal and I have a script these are the things that I do that I find that helps my journal is for me to put all my bad feelings in there so everything that I feel is frustrating me from the day before that I absolutely hate I put that in there so that I can move forward so here's how I start my day I start my day with my two-minute journal, which is asking me about 
um, the things that I am grateful for, what I plan to focus on in my day, and the three steps on how I'm going to do this. I love that. It really puts life into perspective in terms of the reason why I'm doing what I'm doing, even though I may not like it. Um, then my, I read my little inspo um, in the morning time so that I can sort of get my mind together for scripting purposes. And I like to script um, because I find that it helps me really get in alignment with my feelings and what it is that I really, really want and what I am expecting. Then I also use a journal. So the journal is the most important thing because during my journal time is when I write my true feelings about things. So if I really dislike somebody or if it's really bugging me, I put it inside of the journal to which I will use um, to just sort of like just put it all out there. And the reason why the journal is super important is because you cannot lie to yourself on paper. That's just facts. No matter how you truly feel, it doesn't work when you lie on paper. You can only be honest with yourself. So some of us, we have some really bad things that we just don't want to talk about out loud. So you put it inside of your journal. And, you know, the journal is a really good place where you can talk openly and candidly about your feelings. And whether you choose to acknowledge it is totally you. But I find that during your quarter life crisis, you really do need a level of support. And I personally am not a person who likes to always talk to my friends and get advice and do all of this. So I like to journal. That's me. You don't have to do that. Um, but I do think at least writing down an affirmation or something will help to ease some of your tension that you have in your daily life so that you could have better days and better mornings, especially when you really need it. Um, yeah, those are just a couple of the things that I do in my morning. Um, I really try to have a very peace-centered morning. So I do light some incense or I have a stress candle that I use, believe it or not. I can't believe I'm saying this, but aromatherapy really does work. These are just like skills that you can use to sort of help you if you're not someone who believes in therapy or you're not somebody who is a talker, a journal is your best friend. Or if you choose to not want to acknowledge that, you can also try scripting. I like to script. I think that scripting is really great. It's sort of creating the life that you want for yourself. And this is realigning you, believe it or not, energetically with that or spiritually with that. It will remind you throughout the day, like when you're going to get frustrated at somebody, the reason why you need this job is because you need money to buy that house or whatever. It puts you in line with small sacrifices that you have to make to move forward. And also reminding you that a quarter life crisis is not a forever thing. It is a temporary state that you're in that you will move out at some point, whether it be a year, six months, whatever. apologies but if you didn't get anything out of today at least I hope that you've got destination that you need to have a destination during your quarter life crisis to use it to put you back on track as a back on track um, when you are feeling low or you need sort of like to get back into alignment 
um as per usual have a great day thank you guys so much for your support and i'll talk to you guys soon thank you